knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today, we've got a great show in store for you. We have Justin Wright from Missouri on the line. Justin is a guy that I've studied and looked up to for a very long time, and he is a great man, a great hunter, and he's turning into one of my good friends. So I had an absolute blast talking to Justin. It's always good to talk hill country tactics with him because he's an absolute expert out there. So definitely picked up a ton of things that I'm going to use this season for myself from him. And I've actually already started utilizing a lot of what he talks about in this podcast. It's helped me a lot. I know I haven't killed anything yet, but I feel like I'm a lot more in the game. I'm a lot more open-minded and my woodsmanship has went up dramatically from talking to Justin and just seeing how much success that he has being a true woodsman. So can't thank Justin enough for coming on the show today. I think that it's an absolutely awesome episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. One last thing before we get into today's show, if you're looking to pick up any last minute gear before season, head over to latitudeoutdoors.com, pick out what you need, and you can save 20% off your order by using the code INSESSION. That's one word, INSESSION. You can find that in the description of this podcast as well. Also, if you haven't checked out Latitude Outdoors on YouTube, go check that out. We have a bunch of different web series over there. We have the INSESSION series, we have the GRIT series, which is all the hunts from the team last year, and then they have hunt recaps as well, which are very informative. So. I've learned a ton from those videos over there. I think that you guys would enjoy them. Also, if you're looking to pick up a 10 millimeter Lyman rope or tether before season, head over to Latitude. You can use the code rope upgrade for 25% off those ropes. Latitude's 10 millimeter ropes are 40% lighter than traditional 11 millimeter ropes while being stronger. They're rated for 12,000 pounds. They're more compact than 11 millimeter ropes. They're compatible with the Ropeman 1 mechanical ascender. And there's also a bunch of new colors over there. So head over to latitudeoutdoors.com. Use the discount code ROPEUPGRADE to save you 25% off those ropes as well. Thank you once again for listening to today's show. Let's get right into it. Justin, thank you for uh, coming on the show, man. Hey, man. It's my pleasure. I, uh, I've i been following along with you, and and I can say the same to you, buddy. I look up to you. I mean, you what you do out there is is truly amazing. It really is, especially being younger and in the woodsmanship skills that you show. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And like I always say, I always make sure that I, uh, let everybody know that the reason that some of us younger guys are killing some bucks is because we've had guys like yourself and Andy May and Dan Anfall to look up to for a long time and to be able to take tactics from. So you guys kind of did the work back in the day and taught us a bunch of lessons and just trying to, uh, go out and have fun and enjoy it as much as we can. Well, I appreciate that, man. So we both hunt 
hill country for the most part, and we hunt you know somewhat similar terrain. So I thought this would be a cool podcast to just really pick your brain and try to see what you do different than I do in the same sort of terrain. You know, I hunt a little bit of uh, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio hills, and I'd like to venture even further west eventually. I know that we cross areas a little bit there. So um, for the most part, I mean, you would say that you're a hub hunter, correct? Like that's that's sort of the system that you're looking for? Yeah, pretty much 100% it is. I mean, that's where when I look at my wall, like and I look at my biggest deer, that's kind of where I've always found them at. You know, it's more in like a hub system. Granted, you know, the first few I killed, I kind of started putting that together. And then, you know, from there, I've been more so focused on them. So I can't say that you know, you couldn't kill them outside of there, obviously. But yeah, that has been my focus for sure. So the thing that I've come to notice with hunting hubs is I can pick out a hundred of them on a map and then go put boots on the ground. And I might only find one or two that really set up the way that suits what I'm looking for and then has the deer that I want to chase there as well. So what sort of things are you doing or trying to put together to find these these better areas to hunt or these better hub systems to go into and scout? Well, I, there might be some overlap here because uh, I've heard you say this before, actually. Um, I do tend to, if possible anyways, look for the ones that do, you know, lead out to like an ag field. Those tend to be areas that just, you know, hold more deer in general. And then you have the big hub system that, that works back up in and off that. And I think me and you agree on this somewhat, but it's seldom do I find the biggest bucks in those, like work in those actual big hubs. It's more on like these secondary hubs that kind of work off of those main hubs. And that's kind of one thing I've been focused on the last few years, you know, and that kind of depends on where I hunt. I mean, some of the smaller pieces I hunt, like I found some bucks and, you know, in hubs just like, you know, deeper in with, with no ag around at all. But that is kind of a starting point for me if I'm looking at a new area and then looking at like making sure there's plenty of, you know, little secondary hubs that, that kind of work off the main hub, if you will, you know, and, and that seems to be because it seems like the bigger bucks just don't, they really don't want to be around all the other deer. They're kind of off and doing their own thing, you know, in an area secluded away from the rest of the deer. But yet they can work down into there and, you know, and check on the, the rest of the deer herd. It's almost identical. And I've talked about it on quite a few podcasts at this point where those macro systems, and I'm finding it more and more out of state, like the macro systems are very appealing to the eye. And I myself still fall for that trap. I'll go in and I'll, I'll get into these macro systems and I don't find what I want. And uh, Corey Godar and myself, we've done a lot of scouting together this year. We call it the roller coaster of emotions because you go into one of those big hub systems and it's, you know, typically the closer you get to the ag or like down in the drainage, the bigger those hubs get. And so we'll get in the one in the bottom and expect to find all this sign from all the micro hubs pouring into the major hub. Sometimes you do, but a lot of times we don't find a very much sign down there. There's a lot of hunter sign or human recreation. It could be just about anything. We get really bummed out and we're like kind of down in the dumps. And then we start making our loop back and going up in elevation towards those micro hubs. And then it seems like almost, it almost never fails. We end up getting into good mature buck sign or a big set of tracks or some good rubs, or, you know, you'll see that scrape line or that big hub scrape. And then we get more excited again. And so it's, our scouting process is kind of like a roller coaster of emotions as you get through those macros and then back up into the micros. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. I agree. And I fell for the same trap there because I kind of started putting it together like in these systems that I killed them in. And then so you're looking at like these big hub systems that have points that jut down from any and every which way, you know, that offers betting on almost every win that you could possibly get. And that's great. And you'll and it, it does seem like you'll have bucks in there using those. But a lot of times it seems to be at least from what I've seen, the more immature kind of deer inhabit those areas and the bigger ones are kind of off, like we were talking about, like on a, as you call it, like a micro hub or a secondary hub off of those is where, uh, at least that's where I've, you know, I've had the most success in finding. Now, are you, are you finding those mature bucks still coming down through the macro hubs at some point in the season, whether it be uh, nighttime trail camera photos or in the rut or anything else, or are you typically finding them just being hermits and staying up in those micro systems more? No, I definitely find them checking those. You know, you'll get those pictures like, you know, sometimes it may only be an hour or a couple hours, whatever it be after dark. But yeah, I do find them checking those uh, somewhat routinely. And especially the the later end of the season, you get like that later October portion, man, those can, those can start to fire up and turn up to be pretty good. But yeah, when you're talking, like if you're talking early season, if you can find some, you know, some good white oaks or good oaks in there producing chinkapins, burrs, whatever it be, you know, in those systems that, that work off the main hub, that really seems to be the better systems for, for me targeting an, an early season mature animal. But they're tough to get into. They they definitely are. And that's, we, we have a, a little bit of a different style here. And I'm actually adopting a lot more of your style, or at least staying open-minded to it now, where in the past I've I've just wanted to find the hubs that set up for the low hunts, but now I find myself looking at them totally different. And I mean, I almost had a really bulletproof setup this year that we discussed a little bit before the episode. We'll get into that later in the in the season after hopefully I have an encounter with this buck. The next thing I want to get into, man, is actually locating a buck to go after. And so for me, when I'm scouting these hubs basically i'll tear through them i'll see that they have the scrapes that i want to see they'll have the bedding that i think i need they'll have the diverse food sources whether it be some whites some chinkapins some burrs some late season chestnut oaks maybe some reds the ag field down the bottom i'm trying to put all that together and if i if i deem it a good spot i just run cameras like that is pretty much my go-to is if there's already a pre-existing scrape in the bottom i put a camera on it and if there's not Typically, I'll make a mock and I'll put a camera on that. And that's pretty much how I'm monitoring these areas, or at least it's how I've been in the past, is very trail camera heavy, if you will. And I know that you have some different tactics here. So what are your go-to tactics for just locating big deer to chase in these systems? Because to me, that's the hardest thing is locating a deer to go after, you know, and then you can start the hunting after that part. Right. I mean, it's a combination of, of a few different things, one of which would be, you know, that's that sign that you're you're scouting, you know, on the late winter, early spring portion. You know, you're finding the big sign in there from the year before. I mean, at least that's something to work off of. But like, say, like we kind of talked a little bit about this before we get on, but my time anymore has been so limited that even if I am running cameras, a lot of times I can't get out to check them. And I've got like a day here and a day there to hunt. So I've kind of got a scout and hunt, if you will. And I'm doing a lot of that just by looping around some of these these hub systems and some of these areas that, that I'm hoping, you know, is holding a good buck. And then if I see the sign, and I'll try to do that at a safe distance, but it doesn't always 
it's not always the case. Like if I work around, say, if a you know a hub at a safe distance outside of the hub to where I feel like my wind you know wouldn't be blowing in there, and I can kind of look for some of the sign coming and feeding out at the drainages of them. And I don't I don't really find anything there. I will work. I will go ahead and work on into them. But when I'm scouting in the spring and stuff, I'm also looking at some of that sign so that I can kind of you know that's outside of the hub system that I can kind of loop through and check. Just, you know, to see if any of that's opened up and if there's a scrape there, you know, maybe be able to look at a big track or if there's some bigger rubs or this is something that me and Andy uh, may have actually talked about a few different times. And it seems like for whatever reason, a lot of these big mature deer in the earlier portion of the season will not really thrash these big trees. I mean, I'm not going to say they never do because I've certainly found it, but a lot of times they just like kind of nick them up a little bit. Like they'll just take their time. They'll just kind of nick them up a little bit, scar them up a little bit. And for whatever reason, be I've always seen, when I've seen those, I've always seemed to have found like a, a decent deer in that area. So I pay attention to all them little, you know, little signs, but tracks has been probably one of the biggest things for me in scrapes and stuff over the years. And some of these bottoms, you can get some, you know, soil that you can actually see a track on like a ditch crossing or something like that. You can get a good track because Generally, before they'll cross something like that, they'll stand, you know, they'll come up to them and they'll just kind of stand there for a little bit before they seem to, you know, dive off. And I'm making assumptions on that, but I've always gotten good tracks on them creek banks if the soil, you know, uh, is good to, to cut a track there. And sometimes you do have to move some leaves around, but it's, I think if a person pays enough attention to it, it would actually surprise them at how good of a track you can get in some of those areas. You know, that's something I've definitely so i've got a couple questions there the first one is something that's going through my head with this pursuit of this deer that i'm after this year and it's i've I've talked to a bunch of people actually and referenced you and i'm like i'm gonna take the justin Wright approach this year and try to loop (laughs) through these hub systems and see if i can catch what i'm looking for so as far as looping through the system like let's say that you have a ridge that runs north south the main spine of the ridge and then you have a couple sub ridges that jut out towards the east and in between those sub ridges is where your hub's going to be you're going to have your bowl the ridges run out so for like a west wind or a northwest or a southwest you'd have leeward bedding in that system so you know like let's say that that runs out to the east to an ag field for example so how are you going to loop through that system to try to figure out if there's a deer there or if the sign is there that you want to see? Like, what does that look like for you? Well, again, kind of goes back to that, like that late winter scouting. I really try to key on the sign that is around there because for the most part, it seems like that that sign will show up in relatively in the same areas. You know, I mean, there's a lot of factors there, no doubt. You know, you you know this as well as I do, but some years, you know, certain oaks don't produce that they did the year before and all that. But but for the most part, I'm I'm kind of keying in on that sign that I found in the, you know, in the spring scouting that I done. And I'm looking through there. And if those are those are open up and I'm trying to use the wind to the best of my advantage. I was trying to picture in my head how you were talking about that system. Did you say it was a north to south facing or like which way did the the hub dump out to basically yeah so so the main the main ridge is north south but the sub ridges go east and then the hub is basically facing east so for like a west wind that hub would be leeward off the main ridge okay so like a lot of times i'll loop down into the bottom of that hub i'll cross that off first and i'll loop down in the bottom of that see if there's anything there i can pick up on like as you know there'd be one maybe possibly working out of that hub system 
And then if not, I will go ahead and work. I'll try to work on the back sides of, of the hub system, like say to the north and the south of it, you know, if possible, if there's sign that I'd found there the year before and check on that stuff. And then from there, if not, man, I'll, I'll just keep kind of inching closer. I'll get up on top of that ridge and I'll make a loop around. Because one thing that, you know, I know that we've talked about a little bit is I have found quite a few mature deer that I've killed in these hub systems. I've, I've killed them up on like areas that, and it's pretty easy to do once you you scout them out. If you if you find those areas, it's got to be really thick, dense cover. I don't focus too much on uh, saddles or you know all these things that you kind of hear about that are probably great in the rut. It seems to me like the thicker areas are an area that maybe at the end of that ridge there, where the buck can kind of loop around the end of that point, you know, and kind of loop up and through there, whatever it be, wherever I kind of find that sign and it's a thick area, um, I will kind of key in on those and if i loop up through there and i don't really find any sign then i'll i'll go ahead and work off and and look you know at another baby ridge or a hub system nearby but that's kind of generally how i do it i work off of the sign that i found the year you know prior and then that's if i pre-scout it if not then i'm just kind of you know kind of willy-nilly and i'm not i'm definitely maybe a little different in some aspects that i'm not really too much afraid to bump them out of there if i need to to get in there to dig in there to find that sign i say a little different i know you've done that before too but um i think a lot of guys are afraid to do that and i've had some great luck on that because i've never really that i can think of off the top of my head went in scouted like that bumped the say i bumped a buck out of there found the sign that he was there and not heading at some point come back into that hub system you know that makes a ton of sense to me and that's the thing going through my head is i just basically ripped through this area uh three four days ago and i'm just wondering the effects of that we haven't had a rain since then you know my boot scent's probably still on the ground and i went in with the all or nothing mentality i've heard you talk about it i've heard uh heath cisco talk about it i've heard a lot of guys talk about if you're gonna go in there and intrude you might as well just learn what you need to in that moment and yeah. so that was pretty much the approach i took um but so I'm, I'm hoping that i have that same sort of success i did end up finding a good patch of rubs and some good signs some broken off saplings which to me tells me it's got to be a, a pretty good buck if he's ripping those saplings in half but the thing that's interesting yeah. to me there is you talked about hunt about scouting your way in and looping around the basically the you're like basically the system to the north and to the south of the hub you think that deer's inhabiting correct like before you get up on the mm -hmm. spine of the ridge yes correct yeah because i have found like that's led me to Oh, gosh, man, I can think of a few different instances where I've found sign, you know, in the, like you said, in the in the spring scouting that found some sign outside of that, that in my mind, he's probably not getting to till, you know, well after dark. But at least it's some it's kind of like a checkpoint for me. You know, I can go in there. I can check this out. This deer the year before was kind of working this way. Some of the sign told me that he was working this way. So that's like a key area for me to go and, and just kind of check up on. If the sign's there, you know, great hunt it. If not, then then maybe go ahead and push in a little bit further and to the point to where if it's all or nothing, I'll just go right into the hub system if I have to, to like you said, to go in there and learn what I need to learn. So in the past, the thing that's that's went through my head with the sign in the adjacent hubs, if you will, is I I assumed that it was different deer inhabiting those other systems and that it probably wasn't the same deer. But after talking to you and hearing about your success, of those deer basically hub hopping across and then just leaving more sign as they go into that other system. It's it's start yes. it's starting to make a lot of sense to me that they would do that. 
And I can see myself doing the same thing, going into an adjacent system saying, hey, the sign's here. It's coming over top of the ridge. Well, it's coming out of the hub that that buck that I'm after is in anyways. So I need to figure out what's going on here. Um, and as far as, as far as killing deer like that, can you give me an example? We've talked about an example before, and I think it's a really good example of how you accessed from basically the north side of a hub on the, on the back side in that next system. And then you worked your way up a north facing slope and you set up to catch that deer coming out and feeding on some oaks, right? Yeah, I've done that before. I've worked, you know, like if I'm, it, it depends on the situation. Like if I'm working in there, some days if if the winds or, you know, if it's wet, damp, I would go ahead and try to work at the elevation too that that deer tends to bet on. They tend to, sometimes they tend to kind of work, you know, depending, this is very situational, but they, they tend to kind of work those elevations around like in the different bedding and stuff you know for the different winds like they'll be at about that same elevation it seems like and i'll work around those two and still hunt into some of those again if you know if it's not super dry or if there's if we got like a rain or if there's you know a good wind that day or something like that i'll go ahead and try to do that but yeah i have done it to where i've i've looped around and say i hit one of those scrapes you know i've got a, a good track in there that makes me you know assume that it's that deer because I mean, at least in this area that I'm hunting, typically I don't have a lot of mature deer in an area. So if I find a big track or something like that, I can pretty much bank on it being the deer, or at least I do bank on it being the deer that I'm after, you know, and I will go ahead and work up into it and set up on like, you know, if there's a patch of oaks or something I know about in that area, like white oaks or you know, like we talked about, chinkapins, spurs, any of those that in the earlier season that are hot, you know, they'll go ahead and work on up into those. And typically around those themselves, they're signed too, you know, that you can kind of confirm that like, okay, yeah, he's, he's definitely coming this way. Um, it's harder for me to set up on those. It seems like, uh, again, being pressed for time, it's harder to set up on them if I don't have that sign. And obviously, if those oaks aren't dropping at that time too, you know, then it's like, well, this is this is a bust. You know, you look for the the nearest ones that you can you can find that are dropping. And and one thing you you've talked about that I've you know I've done before, but didn't really think about it. I guess a whole lot was like listening for them. But I think you take that to another level. Uh, so I definitely picked that tip up from you as far as like really sitting there and listening. You know, for the oaks, maybe even before you pop the top of the hill there. You know, listen for them to to fall and. And kind of working toward that because if you scout them, you should know where those oaks are at, right? You should know. You should pin that on your map or something or have an idea where they're at. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I have killed I've killed a lot of deer coming up over them ridges. I really have. I've killed a lot of them, and it works out great to where you can set up on the backside of that, you know, that finger ridge or whatever it be that he's working up and over the top of, you know, and you can have all your scent and everything falling off into a bottom that you don't have to worry about him you know, picking you off before he gets there. Um, so that's been one of my favorite ways to to try to target them. I've not had as much success as you have in the hub system themselves that the deer is, is you know, in. Are you ever killing them over top of those food sources that you're finding that sign on? It's, an, it's another selfish question because I'm sitting here trying to figure out, like, how far do I need to push if I'm hunting the top of the ridges? Like, down on the bottom, I feel comfortable that I know at least I, I have a, like a, a pretty good feel for how far I think a deer is willing to travel based on, you know, how far away the food source is, where's his hub scrape, how much covers in that bottom, what are the conditions of the day? Are you finding those deer that are going up higher, reaching the food source in daylight? Because in my head, I'm sitting here thinking about it and I'm like, a lot of my ridges as you go up, they open up quite a bit. 
and there's not a ton of foliage. And I just, I don't know how comfortable a buck would feel doing that, but I can't discount it because I've never tried it. And so are you seeing them make it to the food source or are you typically trying to cut them off on their way to that food source? Yeah, but I've done both, but I will say like I've killed plenty of them. I've killed a few anyways, we'll say that over the backside of like say that ridge, say the hub system and he, you know, and he's working up over that north ridge and down off just on the other side of it. I've killed several of them like that. Now I've never killed a buck on the tops from what I've seen, like when they cross them tops, they cross in a thick area and they just want to get across that. There may be a great wide oak just outside of that, you know, just up on that top that's dropping that a ton of other deer feeding on. There may be a lot of deer sign around it. I have personally never seen a mature buck go up there on the tops like that and just stand up there and feed. It's always on like the side of a ridge where you've got like a good oak, you know, that's dropping. They seem to want to get over the top of that ridge and then, you know, settle in and feed. And, you know, if if that oak is on on the same side of the hub system that he's in, I have killed him that way. It's just been fewer times that I've gotten away with winds, you know, in those systems. And again, this kind of comes back to the last few years when I've been a little bit more pressed for time. So I can't really pick and choose my my wind so much to where I've, I've just more or less I'm kind of you know pushing the envelope if you will on these hunts so I'll have to just take what I've got you know and sit up on that other side but yeah I have definitely killed them again crossing over that top getting over the other side of it and shoot them just as they kind of come across through there working into that that other uh, system of oaks there. So in that scenario, you're on the north facing slope and he's coming from the hub that's to the south. He's crossing that narrow, thick spot on the spine of that ridge to get back over on the steep side of that north slope. You're waiting on him. It's in the afternoon. Uh, it's on a north slope. I'm assuming your thermals are dumping down that north slope pretty hard, right? Exactly. They they typically are, yes. And that's that's great because, you know, all that's falling off into the system that he's not even in. So I typically do not have to worry about him getting my scent. It's just a matter of, of kind of like what we were talking about. Will he get that far? You know, and that varies. That does vary. But, um, man, I can look up on my wall and I've got I've got a few that I can... <laughs> I can think back on that came from that, you know, almost that kind of exact situation to where they just got over the top of that. They were just peeking that other side there, working just off into another section of oaks. And, and, you know, and I was able to get a crack at him. So when they work down that north slope, I I have a thought process in my mind here, but I want to hear your thought process. Are, Are these deer that you're killing, these big mature bucks, are they jay hooking into that oak flat or that white oak that you're sitting over top of or are they coming down the hill with the wind hitting them in the back of the head because the thermals are dropping from what i've seen they kind of come i've never really seen one that i can say was jay hooking i will say once they cross over that thick cover they tend to kind of hold up there for a little bit and really it's like it's almost like they're using their eyes you know in that situation there and they're really they, they do pause. They do take their time. And if, you know, that builds a lot of anxiety. There's been plenty of hunts. I'm like, oh, my gosh, come on, come on, come on. Because it's like time is ticking and running out. They really, they do assess it, but it's not with their nose always. You know, it's it's like they're looking at it with their eyes. They're really looking the situation over it. And at that time of the day, I mean, it's, you know, it's calm. I mean, anything moving, they're going to pick up. So, you you know, you've obviously, like I use a saddle. So I set up on the backside of the trees now. And man, that has made a big difference for me too, as far as being in a saddle versus a tree. Cause used to, I've been picked off a few times doing that, setting up in a, in a hang on, you know, and you're facing that and you're thinking like, you know, I'm just going to focus on that spot where I think he's going to cross that. And once he crosses, then, you know, then as I see him coming across, I'll make my move. And man, I've been picked off because they are really, 
keyed in to what's going on, on the other side of that ridge that they haven't been able to monitor from their bed. So I've I've seen that exact same thing, Justin, and I've seen it when they like it doesn't always happen, but I do have systems where I end up catching that deer dump down at night instead of cross the spine of the ridge. And what mm-hmm. I the reasoning behind that, at least in my head, because they have at that point no wind advantage, no scent advantage at all, is the fact that they get up out of their bed and they just stare down the hill. And they're just yeah. looking for movement. You know, it's getting calmer that time of night. They're just looking for movement. And if they don't have it, it gets to a point where the two out of the last four bucks that I've killed, the two biggest I've ever killed came down like they were like they own the place. They had no care in the world, no fear in the world. And they just were basically walking like a like a deer during the rut in its early season. Just, I mean, a fast, brisk walk to get to that food source. And I ended up shooting both of them. And you talk to people and they're like, oh, there's there's no way they'd walk down to that that location with the wind hitting them in the back of the head. And I just I've seen it happen too many times where they just don't have that advantage. I don't think they always need to J hook. I think it can happen for sure. But I think that sometimes they just feel really confident in what they've done for a long time. Exactly. I think if they've gotten away with I mean, if you're talking mature deer, he's gotten away with that for, you know, for probably years, you know, so. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, Jake. I do. I, I feel that they they know what they're doing. They feel confident in what they're doing. And obviously, it's worked for them over the years. So it's just a matter of picking up on that, you know, and, and trusting what you're finding and, and not <laughs> maybe not listening to a podcast that talks about deer J-hooking or something the day before you're going to go in there or something, you know, because there's a lot of that talk and they definitely do do that, but it's certainly not in all instances anyways yeah which so let's get into that a little bit as far as actually reading the sign so what what do you need to see with that sign to say hey i need to set up on this oak flat right now like is it just some falling acorns and then a couple rubs or what are you looking for exactly well kind of again like talking about if i'm looking at rubs i'm looking for either those saplings that are that are really thrashed up it seems like when a bigger mature deer at least from what i've found does rub on some of them like it may not be a very big sapling but he demolishes it and tears it you know thrashes it snaps it over and then um those also those rubs that are kind of nicked up just slightly nicked and there's no telling how many myself i've even walked past on those because they're not they're not easy to identify i mean you've really got to be paying attention and then again on scrapes and and finding tracks in those scrapes man that is one of my favorite things to do and looping around those hubs or, or looking for sign outside of them or you know where bucks working toward whatever it be that the scrapes and the tracks are, are just huge for me because again cause i don't have a lot of mature deer in the areas i'm hunting typically there's only one in that hub system at least in the early season you know there may be a couple that pass through in the rut but in the early season You've typically got one good deer and he's going to be, you know, if he's the mature deer, he's going to have some unique characteristics in his track, whether it be from rubbing in the hills, you know, he's got a little chip here and there. Um, It may be rounder toes from rubbing in that hard soil for years, you know, whatever that be. And I, you know, if it's a specific deer, I, I love to learn those tracks. But that's certainly not always doable either. But yeah, those are kind of some of the things. Now, it's not just setting up on any random sign under an oak because I've done plenty of that. And you've had your two and a half year olds come in there and feed under you all night. It's like, well, 
it's not, not really what I was here for. So that was my next question was, was, well, do you ever set up on just of just feeding sign? Because man, I'll tell you what, it seems like every time I do that, I run into the same thing. I got it. I get into a bunch of does. I get into some young bucks. I get into, you know, nothing that I really want to go after. And that's, you hear a lot of that in podcast world is find the, find the hot sign, but it's, sometimes it's just find the feeding sign. And I think a lot of people go out and they find a bunch of deer poop underneath an oak tree. They set up on it and, you know, maybe they do kill, but man, and and for me anyways, I haven't had very much success at all in doing that. If I don't have, if I don't have the big mature buck sign and not necessarily big, but if I don't have sign that I think is from a mature buck that matches that food source, I just, I'm normally out of the game. Yes. I I would say the same thing, man. I've done plenty of that over the years, you know, setting up on that, that hot oak that's dropping and. And you could set up on a thousand of the things, you know, in certain spots and never see a mature animal come to them. You know, it's like at least not in daylight. So, yeah, it's got to be there's got to be some kind of clear indication before any more, at least before I'm going to set up on it. Now, if I had more time, I might take some stabs at some of those and just try it. But when you're limited on time man, you're, you're trying, it's got to be hard evidence for me before I'm getting in the tree. Otherwise, I'm going to keep pushing. And, and that seems to be better for me. That seems to. You know, I've I've had so many more encounters that way. You know, I've learned what I needed to learn, whether or not he's in there or not. You know, at least I can mark it off or, you know, come back on a better day and, and try to hopefully line up on the wind that I need it to be and uh, and dive in there and, and take a stab at it. And those have been so much more productive for me than just setting up on a deer or buck sign. So I've got a train of thought here. And I before I get into the next question, I want to cover this real quick. So uh, when I'm hunting hubs, A lot of times I have, like I verify sign on the way in and then I have a kill location in mind and I don't always make it to that, but a lot of times I do make it to that kill location and that's where I end up killing the deer is at that location. With your tactic, you're spending a lot more time and you're a lot more focused on like navigating your way through that system to locate what you need real time and set up on it where I'm basically taking a dart throw and you're like, no, I need the, I need the hard evidence right now. And so with doing that, I know that anytime I get up on a ridge side and there's mature buck bedding anywhere nearby, I just feel like I'm on pins and needles and I feel like I'm just making way too much noise a lot of times. So this probably is going to be a really simple thing for you, but I think that it's something that nobody really ever talks about. And that's the importance of, of being methodical as you're working through these systems and just how you hunt. Like, the way that you're taking a step, you know, are you are you waiting for wind gusts? Are you waiting for some sort of background noise? Do you have a certain cadence that you like to stick to? Uh, are you trying to walk on the you know opposite side of the ridges? That way, they your your noise is deflecting better. Like, walk me through your process as just as a hunter getting into these systems to get close to this sign and then close to the deer because it sounds simple when you when we we sit here and say it on a podcast, but I can tell you when you're when you're up there on the ridge side. It's a hard thing to pull off. Like you have to be a really, a really, a really good hunter to be able to do that. So what's your process there? Yeah, it is, man. You're trying to use, you know, any noise in the woods to your advantage there. Um, and I do try to, typically I try not to come in, you know, if I'm hunting a hub system right into that hub system, like I'll try to use, you know, the backside of those hubs or whatever it be, something to, like you said, to deflect the noise, to keep it down and minimal work. You know, if you can do it back over there and and maybe kind of sound like a squirrel or or whatever, you know, whatever's kind of going on in that area, you just kind of 
more or less like you just want to blend in with the woods. But if it's a, so like take that, say I'm going to go into a hub system and I'm not sure of it. And it's a, it's like a calm day. And I feel like, like there's, you know, I'm working into a system that I don't really know anything about. I'm probably just going to go ahead and plow in through, not plow through. I don't want to say it like that, but I'm going to work that sign outside of it or look at those areas that I know sign shows up outside of it. And then just kind of, if, you know, if need be work deeper and deeper into it and to the point to where I'll just write that day off. Like I'm scouting today. I know I'm going to bump all the deer out of here. I'm just going to scout. I'm going to figure out what I need. So then if I find that the next time I come in there and it is a calm day that I can hunt, that's when I'm, yeah, I'm real methodical about working in there. And I'm also paying attention to sign, but, you know, say two, three days, I bumped him out of there. I've seen the sign that he was in there. That's when I'll really slow it down. And man, that's where woodsmanship really, really comes into play. And a few hunts over the years that, that I've had really shocked me at how close I was able to get. It just gave me confidence in doing it, being able to get that close to a mature animal set up in a tree. And you can pull it off on a calm day. But like you said, you, you're on pins and needles and any little noise that you make that, that you think throws any kind of red flags up, you know, to a mature deer around there, man, you just better pause for a while. You better take your time. Because, uh, you know, they're not, obviously, they're not like the other deer in the woods. They're, they're going to key in on that. They're going to pay attention to it. So if you just keep walking and, and keep making more noise, man, it's going to throw up a red flag. So, yeah, I try to use any of the noise in the woods, whatever it be, to my advantage. And a lot of times it's squirrels. And I'll try to step and then I'll even take my foot sometimes and rake like a squirrel's, you know, digging in the leaves and, and just trying to. As silly as it may sound, trying to sound like a squirrel sometimes walking in there. But man, I've done that. I've done that before and literally watch bucks stand up out of their beds. Not not a ton of times, but I have done it. And, you know, and it just builds your confidence the more you do that and you pull something like that off. And it can be done. It definitely can be. And it's it's funny, man, because I, I, I can see this happening. Like I can see you on that ridge side and I know how I am down in the bottoms underneath these deer too, doing the same thing. And it's such a mm-hmm. slow, painstaking process. Like anytime time I take somebody with me, they're like, man, can we just rip the bandaid off? And I'm like, no, this is, <laughs> this is going to be the most painful one hour of your life. Like I'll get to the point where I'll even start range finding trees. And I'm like, okay, I want to get to that tree. That's 80 yards away in the next 60 minutes. So that I need to take one <laughs> step every minute and 10 seconds. I mean, everything echoes so bad if you don't have wind, like if you get in a late season hunt, you can hear a deer walk from 400 yards. And so, you know, oh, yeah, that that's brutal. Yeah. So, you know, that big mature buck can hear you coming from a long ways away. So, um, do yes. you do anything as far as when you're actually reading that sign, when you're like, you're looking out in front of yourself, you're walking, how far out in front are you looking for that sign? Do you carry binos so you can glass the sign oh, or yeah. anything? Okay. Most of the sign I locate is through binos. Yes. 100%. I'm trying not to you know, push up into areas that, that I don't have. Man, I there was years ago when I was doing this though and I wasn't carrying binos. Oh my gosh. Those things make such a huge difference in the woods. If you're not carrying binos and you're doing that sort of thing, man, you're missing the boat because they make it they obviously just make it so much easier to identify that stuff. If you especially if you really take your time and thoroughly scan it, you know, it just like just like you're working into a hunt, you know, and you're taking your time. If you'll really take your time and scan that stuff. I mean, I've picked up on some of those rubs that I've talked about that are just nicked up on, you know, and it's like, I mean, that's huge. You know, I didn't have to walk 45 yards over there to see that. I've seen it through my, my binos. So now I know, like, I don't have to work up there toward that. I can work to wherever I feel like I need to be or need to get to, you know. 
I, I completely agree. And it's funny because I would say that the majority of the people that I talk to anymore actually don't carry binos anymore. It's like, the, really? yeah, this, this new thing is it's, it's a, the minimalist thing is becoming huge for everybody. And I get it up to a certain point, but a lot of guys are leaving the binos at home now and not taking them in the wow. woods anymore. And to me, I mean, I can't imagine accessing in the hills to kill a deer without having binos. I, I don't know if I would have, I could probably take two thirds of my deer off the wall if I didn't have binoculars with me that day, not because I glassed them from in the stand, but because it put me in the right spot. Even something as simple as I hear acorns dropping, like, you know, I, I talk about sitting down and listening for them or listening for the squirrels. Well, now I can put mm -hmm. my binos up on the ridge side and I can physically see the squirrels feeding. And I'm like, oh, it's a white oak. They're feeding on a white oak. I need to go that direction. With, without right, the binos, right. you, can't, you can't see that. Or same thing, man. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a rub through my binoculars that's tipped me off. That, yeah, the, the sign is here. I don't even have to go walk the other 50 yards closer to the bed. I'm good. I'm already in between the bed and the food. So I just get exactly. set up and yeah. I, and I kill that deer. And it's like, man, if I would have, if I would have walked up to the point where I would have been able to see that rub with my naked eye, I probably would have blown the hunt. Yes. And, oh, I mean, I can think of a few there myself. I agree with you a hundred percent on that. I can't imagine not having them. I've, I've actually walked off in the truck a good ways. I'll turn around, man. Even if it's going to press me for time, I just feel naked without them anymore. <laughs> and, and it just, especially you're, when you're making that loop, like if you, you probably actually see a lot of deer with your binos before anything else, don't you? Yeah, I do. And that's one thing that, you know, as I'm looking and skinning through that, man, I've picked up on a few deer that were bedded in areas that I didn't expect them to be bedding. You know, you'll pick up on a doe or say it's a small buck or whatever. And then you're like, you know, man, without those, like I would have blew that deer up and he could have very well ran off into there and ran right into the area, you know, where I'm expecting the big boy to come from or, or whatever it be. So yeah, they have helped me in, in so many ways that I could not imagine going to the woods without them. Man, I love in a world of regurgitated podcast information, I feel like we've just branched out into a whole new realm now where I've never talked about carrying binos for access routes before, but this is, I'm smiling from here to here. Really? Yeah, it's a great, yeah. it is a great conversation to have because I think that it's something that, that it, it's not the sexy thing to talk about, you know, the tactic talk or anything else. Like in my opinion, all that's great, but accessing in for the kill is probably more important than any of that. And we really don't talk about it very often. I agree, man. I think just access in general, you know, and, and I can't say I consume a ton of podcast stuff because you know i mean let's face it you listen to a podcast and you listen to somebody that's hunting different terrain than you and and you try to maybe and there's always stuff to be taken away don't don't get me wrong but sometimes it can plant a seed in your head that that you're kind of like it's not really you know it sounds great and it's like something i can pay attention to but maybe it doesn't work where i'm at but man access routes are just they're so it's they're so important I mean, without that, there's so many deer on my wall that, that, like you said earlier, I could take down without having the proper access or not even the proper access, but accessing in that way, in that manner to where you're, you're really paying attention, especially the closer you get to it, to possibly, you know, another deer bedded nearby or keying in on that sign that you didn't have to walk up to. And, and like you said, see with the naked eye. So, yeah. That makes, yeah, I agree 100%. makes all the sense in the world, man. So I want to get back over to, as you're reading this sign uh, throughout the season, actually. So say that you're chasing a buck around a system, you've caught his track, you actually have a visual observation of him. He's a buck that you definitely want to kill, but you don't kill him on those white oaks. Now the white oaks dry up. He's still in that system. How are you going to 
how does your focus shift to different food sources? Like like reds, for example, there there's red oaks, you know, when the reds are hot, typically they're everywhere. Or if your chestnut oaks are hot on the spine of the ridges, well, there's typically a lot of chestnut oaks. So how are you going about trying to dissect those other food sources, you know, aside from white oaks as season progresses? Yeah, that definitely gets to be a, a, a chore in itself because then you've got, you know, if you're talking like late season, you've got all that sign, you know, and you can kind of read sign and, and see how fresh it is. I mean, I'm definitely looking for fresh sign, but it even seems like a lot of times like the mature deer in the later season, at least from what I've seen, they seem to lay down very little sign. So it's like rubs and stuff are kind of out of the question for me. I'm really trying to key in on some sort of a way that I can pick up on, you know, a track at that point. I mean, I've, I've picked them up on rubs before. I've still seen big rubs late season. You know, in late season, I'm talking like, you know, from mid-December on uh, here seems to be. And you can still get a little bit of rut action in late December even here, but Typically, if you're talking food sources themselves, like I'm trying to really, really trying to key in on on tracks of some sort, you know, of some way of picking them up, whether it be well outside of that system, just to let me know that he's in there. And then I'm going to probably key in on, you know, the hottest, uh, the hottest sign that I can find in that system, in and around that system. I mean, it definitely gets to be a chore in the later portion of the season. I've killed a lot of deer in the later season. But I can't say I've killed a lot of them necessarily keying in on like just a specific tree. Um, you know, it's been it's been more so like keying in on areas or thicker hubs, you know, that I feel like they may get pushed back into. Because after the rifle season here, man, they, they really tend to flock into like thicker cover. Now, I've found hub systems that hold them all year long. And then I found like kind of like we talked to where they'll like hub hop. They'll, they'll use this one like in the earlier portion of the season because there's a lot of white oaks in it. And maybe this one over here offers a lot more reds. And also it's got like maybe a, an old select cut or clear cut near it. So it has some different, you know, food uh, sources that are in there. It tends to be more like that thicker kind of cover diversity and stuff that I'll, that I tend to kind of focus on in the later portion of the season. Because in here, I mean, man, your, your woods are, can be wide open and, you know, in the late season. Yeah. So would you say you're, you're pushing even closer to that too? So, so you're, you're very focused on the thicker cover and then you're hunting like right on the fringe of it, right on those transitions more than you are the, the specific food sources at that point. Yeah. Or the transitions that are leading to like, you know, like say a, a patch of red oaks that are up on the top of this ridge up here. Like maybe it's a, it's a transition, you you know, along that line and I'll find, or I've found at least a lot of them bucks that'll, don't work that edge. Just like, you know, you hear people talk about, it. I mean, they definitely do. They are edge creatures. It seems like the later season, they, if they can, they like to work those edges to where if they encounter danger, I, at least I feel like they can duck right back into the thick cover, you know, those edges that kind of lead to food sources, I guess is what I would say. I ran into that last year a little bit and the food sources were tough because there wasn't a whole lot of food in the wood. We didn't have chestnut oaks in the areas I hunt last year very well. Pretty much no reds, no whites. Uh, acorns were, were non-existent for the most part. And the problem I had was just, it was that sign everywhere. You know, I would run into sign or I'd run into scrapes or I'd run into anything else. And it was hard to determine on the fly how long ago some of that sign was made for me. And it could be something where I, I felt a week out of the game. And I think that's, I feel like I was just two weeks out of, or two or three days out of the game consistently on some of those deer. And maybe it was me actually uh -huh. pushing them further and further back. 
myself with my own pressure. But like, I felt like I'd find sign that's like two days old. And the next day I'd push in a little bit further. And that sign was like two days old. And I just kept going. And then finally they ran out of room and I caught up with them. It was just a little bit too late. So I, I struggle with that a lot myself. And that's, that's why I wanted to ask you that question was just to try to figure it out. But it, it does make sense where I ended up catching up with those deer was the it was the windward side of those ridges for a southwest wind, and they were betting on the windward side, not the leeward side, but it was because it was so thick over there. So they chose cover over uh, wind-based betting, over food, over everything else late season. And so for me moving forward, especially after talking to you, I can just see myself finding that thick cover faster if I get in that situation again. Yeah, it does seem like the thicker cover to me, man. It's been where I found them in the later portion of the season, definitely. It's kind of what I key in on a little more so than, you know, than trying to find like that food source and the sign leading to it or something like that. I mean, I'll still look for that. Don't get me wrong. But the first thing I'm looking for is that thick cover because, you know, with the rifle seasons and all that, especially this year, we've got even more of them. Gosh, man, the deer just gets pressured so hard that it's like they just flock to that thicker cover, you know, whatever it be. And it doesn't even have to be a big patch of thick cover. I mean, it could be just a little, even a little point that that faces you know off to the south or something and you're getting a lot of north winds and you're like there's no way they'd be there well they are because it's thick you know it's a thick a thick point that offers security and and bedding and you know nothing can really approach them or get in there on them you know without them uh detecting it so yeah do you ever find do you guys have a lot of beach out there yeah we do i just feel like i keep finding big deer later in the season on the ridges that have a ton of beach as well I, I have seen that, you know, and I don't know if it's like you said, if they're feeding on some of that foliage or whatever, it it's just, uh, man, those, those beach too, like those smaller ones and stuff, they like to leave a lot of sign around them. But yeah, um, I, I have seen that. I can't say we, I, I say we have beach. We don't have a ton of beach, but we definitely do have beach trees here. But yeah, uh, any, any ridge that offers any sort of thicker cover in the later portion of the season is going to be one that I'm going to focus on, you know, at least check and, and look for sign. And usually again, I'm looking for, I'm sure you do this. Like I think you're more so geared probably, or I'm assuming anyways, toward the earlier portion of the season, but I try to pay attention to all the sign, you know, to look for like in the later portion of the season and stuff too. Um, and I'm sure you do the same, but yeah, those clear cuts, select cuts and, or just anything, even if you've had like a couple big trees fall down, man, and they get that sunlight hitting the forest floor, you know, it just offers a thicker area for them deer to bed. And they seem to flock to that in the later portion of the season. It seems like they'll even walk further to get to a food source, you know, if they can get in near that thick cover. So I have seen that for sure. So the next thing I want to get into a little bit is your rut tactics. Uh, I am a, I'm personally a terrible hill country rut hunter. I struggle a ton and I, 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 th I have a couple thought processes in my head for that. But um, so as far as your rut hunting goes, would you say that you're more terrain feature based? Are you more doe bedding based? Like what's your, what's your thought process? Where's your head at with hunting the rut? You know, once you get through late October. I do tend to focus on like the doe groups and stuff, but you know, as long as I know that there is, is bedding, like knowing where the buck bedding sets up accordingly to that. And sure, sometimes those bucks move to get a little bit closer to doe bedding, but it seems like a lot of times these areas that, you know, like in these hubs that we were talking about earlier, like the secondary hubs, that those big mature deer are at, there's generally not too terribly far off a decent, you know, group of does around there that they can, they can work and check in through all season. So I'll work off of off the does and a lot of times I mean I know a lot of guys like to hunt downwind of the does and set up on that. I'll actually 
probably more so than not work work them areas like that the bucks are checking the does as say they're coming out of a say they're coming out of a like a an ag field and they're working back up into a hub system well that buck like a lot of times i've seen them they will check those trails versus running right up into those bedding areas that a doe is and i'm talking more mature deer they'll check those trails you know they'll lay up until gosh nine anywhere from nine to man even two o'clock in the afternoon they'll get up and they'll run and make a loop through there. And I've even seen him do that multiple times a day. I can think of one that I killed, oh, several years ago. And he, I've seen him earlier that day, <clears throat> like early in the morning, I don't know, uh, or mid-morning, I'll say, probably 9.30. He made that loop, and he stayed just out of range on me that time. And I kind of, I was like, dang, man, I missed him for the day, you know. And I was like, well, what else I got to lose? I'm just going to stay here. So I stayed there, and he made it again. And it was like at three thirty, and he kind of made a loop through there. And this time, he came in close enough to me, and I was able to get a shot. So I really like to look at those and, and work off those. And I feel like they'll, I do feel like they do lay up. They let those does all kind of work back into their their bedding areas, and then mid morning they get up and they kind of go check those things out. And I've seen it more so that way than I have. I've hunted downwind of doe bedding areas and doe groups, and I've had success that way on some mature deer. But it seems like a lot of times when I'm doing that, I'm getting like a lot of those younger bucks working up and around those. That's just my personal experience, though. I know guys, you know, there's other guys that kill a lot of mature deer that, that hunt around the dope bedding areas and they hunt down one of them. The big thing there for me is that that time frame that you like hunting. You, so basically the mid-morning to like 2 p.m.-ish, right, is, you know, yeah, after the, yeah. I'll tell you what, man, since running, you know, I never ran a bunch of cameras in hill country until moving to Ohio. And so it's, this is going to be year five, but in the last four years of running cameras down here pretty heavily, I've just, there's such a trend with that 9.30 to 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. during, it starts here about October 25th-ish and runs to, you know, mid-November, but I have more mature bucks daylighting midday than morning or afternoon by a long shot. And it's funny because when I first moved down here, I didn't really hunt that way. I would hunt like the morning. I was a typical get out of the stand at 10 a.m. and get down and come back at two. And I've completely changed that tactic now. Last year, I uh, ended up getting really close to my brother a couple times. And those deer were, they, they were coming through at 10 or 11 a.m., all of them. And it was just, it was cool to see, man. Oh, absolutely, man. I've killed a, a handful of mature bucks, you know, in that midday. I mean, there's no denying that, gosh, if you run enough cameras and you've got enough experience, at least in the hills, that is a deadly time frame if you're talking and you and I agree with you. I mean, it's like it may be October, more like October 20th here on into mid-October. But yeah, man, that is a great time to be in the woods, you know, if, if you're in the right spot. So Well, awesome, man. This has been a great show. We're about an hour into it. I, uh, I know it's getting pretty late, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. I think there's a ton of good information here and I think that people are going to be able to take a ton of way going into season. So we'll have to have you on again, hopefully this year, but if not next year for some spring scouting stuff. Sure, man. I appreciate it, Jake. It was a pleasure of mine, man, to be on here and, and to talk with you and stuff, especially because we, we kind of, we have some similarities anyway, so it's interesting to talk to you. It always is. And I'm sure we'll be talking back and forth throughout season, but Hey, good luck this fall, man. I really appreciate it once again, and I wish you the best. Uh, you too, Jake. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time.
You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. 